I'm Taylor Burgess, and I want to welcome you uh, to worship with us at Cross Community Church Online. Uh, during this season, out of love for our neighbor and to honor and respect uh, the requests and recommendations of our government, we're not going to be gathering together in person for the foreseeable future, uh, but we're incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to still gather together online. So uh, what we're going to do is, is worship together with a full worship service uh, right there in your living room or from wherever you're watching. Um, this will be like our normal worship services that we have every single week. There's going to be uh, this welcome, and then there's going to be scripture, there's singing, uh, there's going to be time in the Word. And this year as a church family, we've been walking together through a resource called the New City Catechism, which is a series of questions and answers uh, that we use to build strong doctrinal and theological foundations in our faith. Uh, but as excited as we are to continue gathering together in some capacity online, uh, we want to do our best to communicate to you that we are still here to serve you and the needs of your family as best as we possibly can through this season. So there's a number of ways that you can stay connected to us as a church family. If you go to our website, crosscommunity.org, what you'll see on the home screen as you get there is our church's full COVID-19 response plan. We wanna make sure you know how you can stay in communication with us, how you stay in contact with us, and how we can continue to serve uh, the needs of our church family. So go check out our website, crosscommunity.org. Every single week as part of our worship services as well, we typically give out a Next Steps card. And this is important because they're the number one way that we stay communicated with our church, in communication with our church family. Um, so what we've provided for you is an online Next Steps card that's linked uh, to this video as you're watching. Um, so what you can do is share your name, contact information. If you have prayer requests that you'd like to share with us, our staff and our prayer team come around those every single week. If you want to learn more about how to get connected within our church family, uh, fill out that online Next Steps card and our staff will be following up with you throughout the course of the week. We've also, for those of you with kids at home, uh, we have provided uh, resources for parents just to continue uh, leading them in God's word uh, from your own home. So those resources are linked here as well. And then finally, uh, we've given a link for online giving. Uh, we're incredibly grateful for how our church family has continued to just faithfully dig in and give over the course of the past week. And so our desire through this season, no matter how long it is, is to continue driving forward the message of the gospel, serving the needs of our church family and of our local community. Uh, and so we're, we're incredibly grateful for your giving. You can go online. Crosscommunity.org is the easiest way to set up an online donation, uh, or you can drop off or mail a contribution to our church office, and that address is on our website as well. But we love you, we're glad to be with you, and looking forward to worshiping with you today. Well, you guys stand with me. We're so glad that you guys uh, joined to worship with us today, uh, wherever you are. But uh, we're going to start here at Psalm 63, and if you would read this with me. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands.
us and he is near to us through all situations and in every moment he is working all things together for those who call on his name and what assurance we have in him that we are never alone and that he holds us in the palm of his hand and that verse we read together in psalm 63 it ended with this i will bless you as long as i live in your name I will lift up my hands. And I know today we are worshiping together in a lot of different places. Um, But can we lift our hands together in unity and bless our great God? Uh, So wherever you find yourself today, uh, just lift up your hands and say, Lord, I bless you. Say, Lord, I bless you. Is there anything at all that God has done for you in your life, that the Lord is worthy of praise and honor. And we say it again, Lord, I bless you. God, in the midst of all that is going on in our world, uh, we bless you. You are not just God when times are easy, uh, but God, you are still God when life gets hard. We thank you that you are not confined to a space one day a week, uh, but that we are still able to gather as your church with one voice and we lift our hands and say we bless you we thank you that while our church buildings may be closed the tomb is still empty which means your church is alive and you are working in us god we ask that you meet us today wherever we may be and grant us a greater understanding of who you are and deepen our love for you through jesus christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, guys, we're going to continue in our catechism. We have a question up here. I'm going to read the question, and then you guys repeat back with me the answer. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Since the fall... No mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. This comes from Romans three ten through 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And when we sit here and we think about the perfect law of God, how beautiful it is, knowing that it is for our best that God delivered that to the people of Israel first, and then just as time traveled down to us, uh, New Testament Christians, uh, that the law is perfect for us. Uh, When we keep it, uh, we know that it's best, but the bad news is, is that we can't keep it. And one commentator says, it's the bad news that stands as the backdrop for the spectacularly good news of the gospel, which brings life and hope. Though we're unable to keep the law of God perfectly, there's one who kept the law perfectly for us. Jesus faithfully obeyed his Father, 
even to the point of death on the cross, so that we who trust alone in him might no longer live under the guilt, power, and bondage of sin, but be set free. And it's no surprise to me, guys, that we land on this question today as we talk about the Son and what the Son is to us. And I'm just, I, I celebrate the fact that uh, we are helpless. Uh, we have to have a Savior. And as we just worship this great God and King who is, control, is, is in control of everything, we can praise Him because He sent His Son, and His Son was faithful. His Son was faithful to us. And we're going to celebrate Him. We're going to continue to worship Him. So if you would stand with me, we're going to continue in worship of this great faithful Son.
have a copy of God's Word, please open it with me to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Read along with me on in your Bibles or on the screen here behind me. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this uh, time together in worship. Father, whether it be in this room, whether it be in a, a living room, wherever it may be, Father, um, I pray that that, uh, that you would just continue to fill this place. Boy, we felt your presence here already. And God, we just thank you for this word. I thank you for, for the reminder that you are all we need, Father. In this song, in the scriptures we just read, Father, that no matter the chaos that surrounds us, everything going on in this world, God, that we... We try to uh, do what we can do, Father, to, to make it better, to, to find peace, whatever it may be, Father. I pray that you just remind us that, that, that our hope is in you, our peace is in you, Father, and that, that you are all that we need through this time. Uh, God, I just pray that next few minutes, Lord, as your word is, is preached, Father, that, that, uh, that lives will be transformed. I pray that, that as, we, as we hear your word, Father, that we learn something new today. Lord, and that, uh, Lord, that you, you would just be glorified in the next few minutes, Lord, and in this, this season that we're in. Ask all these things in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to go and turn with me in your Bible. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at in our time together uh, today. Um, It's not very often that I start out um, a sermon with any type of announcement, but we're just kind of in a season right now where we're trying to share as much good news uh, as we possibly can. So, you know, one of the big uh, bummers of this whole season that we're in is uh, not being able to gather together every single week. And particularly, we've seen that this is probably for the foreseeable future, uh, that we're not gathering together as an entire church in person. And so our plan is to continue gathering together online, uh, except for 
Easter Sunday, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, we want to invite you uh, as our church family to celebrate Easter with us at the Highway 21 drive-in on Easter Sunday, April 12th. And so uh, it's crazy. I know, yeah, we can celebrate that. It sounds crazy. uh, But what we're going to do is we're going to drive in, we're going to park, we're going to tune in our radios, and then we are going to celebrate our risen Savior together uh, as a church family on Easter Sunday and try to do everything that we can to leverage that opportunity to share the gospel in our uh, community. So uh, we'll give out all the service times and details and everything the next few days. We just want to be able to celebrate that together um, as a church family this week. Um, but one of the big bonuses of having a little bit of extra time at home over the last couple of weeks is that it's given me the opportunity to introduce Gideon, our oldest son, to my favorite series of movies, which are the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies. And uh, so far, he has been totally into it. Um, uh, This past week, our boys were outside doing sidewalk chalk together. And right on the walkway towards the front of uh, where we go to to walk into our house, Gideon had sketched this great picture of Gandalf uh, holding his staff with big, bold letters all the way across you shall not pass. And so uh, Gandalf has fi- by far been his favorite character so far. And, and early on in The Hobbit, there's this really powerful moment between Gandalf and Bilbo as they're getting started on their journey. And those of you who know the story, uh, initially Bil- Bilbo did not want to join Gandalf and the dwarves as they were going on this journey because hobbits weren't really ones to partake in adventures together. And Bilbo really enjoyed the comfort of being at his home But after Gandalf and the dwarves had left to go on their journey, uh, ultimately he decides that he wants to go with them. And so he catches up to with them uh, to where they were as they were traveling. Uh, But as they get started there, he he yells stop. And he says, hey, we've got to head back to the Shire because he realized that he had left one of his most important material possessions, uh, which was his pocket handkerchief. Uh, But in that moment, uh, Gandalf looks at Bilbo and this is what he says to him. He says, you will have to do without pocket handkerchiefs and a great many other things before we reach our journey's end, Bilbo Baggins. You were born to the rolling hills and little rivers of the Shire, but home is now behind you. The world is ahead. And there's a word here, I think, from the great theologian Gandalf that is for the church today. Because right now the church is in a season where in a lot of ways we've left the comfort of home. In the same way that Bilbo was born into the rolling hills of the Shire, many of us have been born into the material excess of religion. And right now we're in a season where the Lord has brought us to a place and taken us on a journey where we're having to leave behind a lot of the material comforts of the place that we call home. But Jesus in Luke 10 puts the whole world in front of us. And he tells us that the harvest is plenty. He tells us in his word that the fields are white for harvest. And he's put the world in front of us. And for a season, we're going to leave some comfort behind. So last week, we began this message series just really impromptu out of a desire to really press into what God is doing during this season and, and not, uh, not, not think that this is just something that's normal. Because I think we've all figured out over the last couple of weeks, like this is not normal, right? Like we can pretend that it's normal all we want, but having our kids home all day long during the school year, for most of us, it's not normal. It's, it's not normal that, that a lot of you are watching this online, that there's just a small group of us gathered here on a weekday to have our worship together, gathering together. It's not normal. It's clear that God is doing something unique within this generation. And so we as a church family want to do everything that we can to lean into the work of God in our world. So last week uh, from Acts 4, we saw that through this season, God has still given us all that we need. He's given us all that we need to continue driving forward the mission of the church and the message of the gospel because he's given us Jesus, he's given us his word, and he's given us each other. And so Lord willing, what we're planning to do the next few weeks is spend one week on each one of those things. And so today we're going to be looking at how we have Jesus and he is all we need. 
Many believe that Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 uh, were words that were sung as an early Christian hymn because the, the passage is just saturated with praise uh, of Christ and it's delivered in a really poetic tune. And, th- and that's uh, evident here in Colossians 1.15 when Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. God. What we see, this concept that God has not been seen uh, all throughout Scripture. 1 John 4 says that no one has ever seen God. 1 Timothy 6 says that God is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. Exodus 33 says, uh, God says to Moses, no man can see my face and live. John 1.18, this is emphasized again, no one has ever seen God, but it says the only God who is at the Father's side, talking about Jesus, he has made him known. What John is saying here is that Jesus has made known the God who has never been seen. The invisible God has been made visible through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's made the invisible visible. So so if we want to know what God is like, Paul shows us here, we look at Jesus. We want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. Now there's so much talk in the church today about vision. It's such a popular buzzword within church culture. And we tend, unfortunately, I think, to use that word vision in a very secular way. Vision has a lot to do with both direction and destination. It has a lot to do with what we're go- where we're going and how it is that we're getting there. We tend to quote and paraphrase Proverbs 29, those famous words where there is no vision, the people perish. But if we take a closer look at that, uh, the full context and the better rendering of that statement is where there is no prophetic vision. And so when you take that into account, it's clear that what the writer is saying in the book of Proverbs is not vision in terms of the plans of man. It's talking about having a vision of God. Vision is not about setting goals. Vision is about seeing God. What he's writing here is where there's no prophetic vision, where there's no vision of God, the people perish. And Paul says here in Colossians 1 that Jesus is that vision. He is our vision of God. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Christ. So my hope for our time together today is that we're going to capture a fresh vision of who Jesus is, of the Jesus who is our everything, and it'll lead us to live lives that are marked by total surrender, radical generosity, and desperate dependency upon him, because Jesus is our everything. He's our everything. If we put this into philosophical terms, Jesus is the irreducible minimum of the church. And if, he, if he's all that we have, then we can still rest assured that we have all we need. Paul shows us here first in Colossians 1 that he has created everything. Jesus is our everything and he has created everything. One of the reasons why Paul wrote the letter to the church in Colossae was to combat a lot of the false teaching of his day. Verse 15, he says that Christ uh, is the firstborn of all creation. Now, the Gnostics taught that God could not have been revealed in the flesh because they believed that all flesh was corrupt. And then the traditional Arian heresy was that God, Christ was not uh, God himself, but he was a created being of God. And ultimately, both of these are problematic because they make Christ out to less than who he is. So when Paul uses that term firstborn here, he's not using it in the sense of of Christ as being one who was physically born of God, but in the sense that Christ carried all of the privileges in the first, of the firstborn. We see that expressed all throughout Scripture as well. We see in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the firstborn of the nations, even though Israel was not the first nation that was ever formed. We see that David is referred to uh, as the firstborn of all the kings, even though David was not the firstborn among the sons of Jesse. Firstborn is used in those senses to express those who have received the full rights and privileges of a firstborn son. And so what Paul is saying here is that everything God is and has belongs to Christ. 
All the privileges of God belong to Jesus. For God to be the eternal father, there had to have been an eternal son. And so Paul is saying that son is Jesus. He further emphasizes verse 16. He says, Christ couldn't have been a created being because he himself is the creator of all things. He says, all things, Paul says, without exception, all things were created by him. He says, all things created were created by him in heaven and on earth, things that were visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. This, this is important because these were Jewish terms for ranks of angels. I, I love how uh, Eugene Peterson in the message has paraphrased these couple of verses. He, he writes, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Paul says all things were created by him, so Jesus is the God of creation. He says all things were created through him, so Jesus is the gate of creation. He says that all things are created for him, so Jesus is the goal of creation. It all started with Jesus, and it's all heading to Jesus. He is our everything. He's our everything, and he's created everything. Second, Paul says he's sustaining everything. He's sustaining everything. Verse 17, Paul says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's sustaining it all. The writer of Hebrews said it like this of Jesus, very similar. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's holding it all together. You know, earlier this week, I had a really just honest moment in prayer before the Lord. I was thinking about this particular scripture, that particular line in this scripture, and uh, had just watched the news a little bit. And so it's always, I think, natural to feel a little bit down, right? Usually after we watch the news and you're, you're de- depressed and discouraged by something. And, and, and just so much had happened in the last couple of weeks. I'm looking at this, at this text, and, and I just had a really honest moment in prayer where I said, Lord, I, I want to believe that this is true, but when I look at our world right now, it's really hard for me to believe that you're holding all together because it really doesn't look like it's being held together. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Major institutions have been paralyzed. The global economy is collapsing. As a church, you know, we're, I mean, we're facing challenges right now that we never imagined we would have to face. Earlier this week, I officiated a funeral, and it was just such a, a heartbreaking sight. I mean, the vast majority of friends and family members were not able to travel and be present because of all the restrictions that are currently in place. There was a very small group that was gathered together for the service. The service could only be about 30 minutes long. Not everybody was able to go to the gravesite. And we just saw, just really put a face on the brokenness of the situation that we're currently in right now. I'm just thinking about all these things. I'm like, Lord, I want to believe that you're holding it all together. But right now I'm struggling to believe that you're holding it all together. I mean, I just, I think personally, you know, there was just some, some big goals and dreams and aspirations we really had for the church this year. And so I was really just getting some gripes out before the Lord. It's like, Lord, this is not exactly going the way I thought it was going to go for 2020. You know, all, all those 2020 vision metaphors that pastors have, like, boom. I mean, it all just, just crashed, you know, over the last couple of weeks. I just, I think like all these people with the gift of prophecy, I'm like, y'all couldn't have given us a heads up a little bit, you know, about what we were walking into for, for 2020. It was during all of this, the Lord just, just brought to my mind the words of James from James chapter one. And, and it, was, it was amazing to me because I think this is actually the one text of scripture I've probably preached more than any other text of scripture. And, and just the Lord shed some new light on it for me in, in this particular season. And I was reminded of these words as I was praying, James 1, 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And he asked this question, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
And it was just through reading that passage of scripture this week, I felt the Lord just gently nudging me and speaking to me in my heart and saying, Taylor, the problem right now isn't that I'm not in control. Your problem right now is that you're not in control. And that's hard. That's a tough realization. Our vision maybe is not being accomplished, but maybe we're not accomplishing our vision because Christ is trying to reveal a new vision of himself. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm in control of this. That's humbling, but it's good news. Because what what that tells us is, is, man, all of us right now who feel the pressure to hold it all together, to hold our job together, to hold our family together, to hold the church together, we can let all of this go because we can rest assured in the promise that Christ is holding all things together. Amen. He's not going to let this go, and we can be confident that he's sustaining all things. Third, Paul shows us he is first in everything. Verse 18, he says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. I needed that reminder so much this past week. I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is. Our staff and our elders are not the head of the church. Jesus is. No pope is the head of the church. No bishop is the head of the church. No pastor or minister is the head of the church. Jesus is. As the head of the church, he's the one who gives us vision. He's the one who gives us direction. He's the one who gives us organization. Now, there's a a pretty simple reason why you'll never see our church family embark on one of those I love my church campaigns. And the simple reason for that is because the church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. Not one of us in this room, no one watching this online, none of us paid for the church at the cost of our own life. Jesus has done that. This church belongs to him. How about instead of I love my church, I love the church, or better yet, I love his church. Buy me that t-shirt. I'll wear that one. This church belongs to him. He's the head, not us, so it's his church not ours. John, or Paul says in verse 18 that Jesus himself is the beginning. This reflects what we find in John chapter 1, that Jesus is the eternal word of God who has always existed from the beginning. Paul says he's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the first and only to conquer the grave. And because of this, Paul says he is preeminent in all things. He's first in all things. The false Gnostic teachers of this time taught that uh, Jesus was sort of a halfway house to God. He was a way to God, but he wasn't exactly God himself. But Paul refutes this in verse 19 because he says that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The imagery that really comes to mind here is from the Old Testament of how the fullness of the glory of God would come and fall and, and fill the presence of the temple. And in the same way, Paul says, the fullness of the glory of God is full in Christ. This word fullness was really important to the Gnostics. The Greek term that Paul uses here for fullness of God meant the sum total of all divine power and attributes. And the word dwell that Paul used meant a whole lot more than to simply reside or live or abide. It meant to be at home permanently. So let's pull that together. What Paul is saying is that the sum total of all the divine power and attributes of God were pleased. They were happy to be at home permanently in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our everything. Mm -hmm. He's not just the start. He's the finish. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's the first and the last. He says, follow me. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he is both where we're going and he's how we're getting there. He's our direction and our destination. Jesus is everything. Mm -hmm. He's everything. Paul says forth here that he is restoring everything. Let's read together verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's restoring everything. Oftentimes, I think what looks like chaos for us 
is actually control for him. And to know that this is true, we don't need to look any further than the cross. How does Paul say God is bringing about this work of redemption and reconciliation and restoration in our world? He's doing it through the blood of the cross. He's doing it through the blood of the cross. The cross looked like chaos. The cross looked like God wasn't in control. The cross looked like God had lost his grip on the situation, that he'd lost a handle on things, that the Savior had come, but somehow things had gotten messed up and the plan had been thwarted. But the resurrection is the reminder that God was always in control. Amen. Just think about this for, for just a moment. You know, we're, we're, we're in this moment where it's so easy to look around, so easy to look around and just ask of our world, like, man, how could things possibly get any worse than they are right now? And, and it's in a moment like this, we need the reminder, church, the worst thing that could ever have happened has already happened. It's when the perfect, spotless, innocent son of God was murdered, executed, and killed on a cross for our sins. This was the darkest day in human history, but how did God respond to the worst thing that's ever happened with the best thing that's ever happened? Because three days later, Jesus walked out of the grave. He triumphed in victory over the grave. The time is coming when Christ is ultimately going to crush all rebellion against the plans and purposes of God. And the promise for the believer in Jesus Christ is, man, this world is as bad as it's ever going to get for us. Amen. Church, this is as close to hell as you and I are ever going to be. And we can rejoice even through this suffering because we know that there's a greater hope waiting for us in glory through Jesus Christ who's reconciling and restoring all things. We have everything we need in Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. And this is going to be tested for us as individuals and as a church family in the coming days and weeks and months ahead, probably more than any other time in most of our lives. Do we truly believe that this is true? So, so what I want to give us just as response and application, I want to give us three marks of those who truly believe that Jesus is everything. If we believe in Jesus, we're going to be marked by a few things, and these are things that I hope will carry us and define us as a church family through this season. The, the first mark is of unconditional surrender. Those who believe that Jesus is everything are marked by unconditional surrender. If you look at this passage, Paul uses a lot of very definitive, comprehensive language. He says of Jesus, he is the first in everything. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's preeminent or first in everything. And so I want to ask all of us to, to think about this. Be honest with yourself. Is the one who is first in all things first in your life? Is he first in every area of your life? Is he first in your home? Is he first in your marriage? Is he first in your family with your children? Is he first in your job? Is he first in your finances? Is he first in your relationships? We need to ask very honestly in this season, is he first in our church? But let me tell you something that I'm a little bit worried about. It's, it's not what's happening right now. It's what will happen when we get to the under, other end of this season. What I'm worried about is, is what's going to happen in the weeks and months ahead. We as a people are going to grow very desperate for God. We're going to ache for him, and we're going to pray for him, and we're going to put him back where he belongs, which is the preeminent priority of our lives. And we're going to be praying, we're going to be in his word, and we're going to be leaning on him and trusting on him. We're going to be dependent on him. But then this is all going to go away, mm. and we're going to get to the other side, and then all of a sudden Jesus is going to go right back to the second seat. Yep. People who believe that Jesus is everything have lives that are marked by unconditional surrender. Have you surrendered every single area of your life to Jesus Christ? Is there anything in your heart? Is there anything in your home? Is there anything in your life that you're still holding on to? And the, the promise here is that even, man, if you are falling apart, 
You are trying so hard to hold everything together. The, the promise of the gospel is you can let go and trust that he's going to hold you together. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need you to hold yourself together. We can open our hearts and release and surrender it all to him today. Second, those who believe Jesus is everything are marked by lives of radical generosity. We're marked by radical generosity because Christ has given us all that we need. We can give of what we have. You know, this past week I, I saw a news headline from within our own community that really broke my heart. It was an island packet story. And and the story was that food banks were serving twice as many people as usual during the season, but they were struggling to keep their doors open. And this is one of the reasons that was given for why they're struggling to keep their doors open, because businesses and churches were closed. That's the narrative right now on the church in our community, is that we're closed. And I I just think that needs to righteously tick every one of us (laughs) off. I think we need to to have some holy frustration about reading something like that. I want to ask us what I just asked us last week. When we get to the end of this, what is going to be said about the people of God? Is it going to be said that we retreated or that we showed up on a rescue mission? And this is our opportunity as a church family to, to show our world, listen, hey, when everything else shuts down, the people of God show up. We don't just like and share stuff on Facebook. We get our hands dirty and we get involved and we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. We're not on a great vacation right now. We're still on a great commission. Mm -hmm. This is the mission that God's given us and our community desperately needs the radical generosity of the people of God. And so I'm going to give a couple of challenges for our church family throughout COVID-19. The the first is going to be to model radical generosity towards our community. Uh, We did this this past week as a church family. Man, I I think we need to celebrate. It was very short notice this past week, but uh, we were able to deliver to help a lot of very full bags of of groceries, a few dozen, and then a lot of uh, frozen, uh, frozen goods and because of your already faithful giving to our local church, we were able to give them uh, over $1,000 uh, from uh, from our community outreach fund. But we've got to understand this is still not enough. Mm-hmm. It's still not enough. And so every single Monday, uh, for as long as COVID-19 is going on, we're inviting you to uh, bring non-perishables to our office. We'll organize them here and make a delivery. You can drop them off directly at help as well. Uh, but we want to continue doing everything that we can to make sure they can keep their doors open, meeting critical needs and feeding families within our community. If you can't go out, uh, just email us, info at crosscommunity.org. We can uh, organize a pickup from your house. We'll send people there. And so if you'll uh, grant me maybe a generous grammar exception, we want to turn your social distancing into social justicing, okay? Like we want to get involved even as we're having to sort of be at a distance from one another. And we just want to overwhelm our community with the radical generosity of the people of God. Let it be said of the people of God that when everything else shut down, the church showed up. And the second challenge is us to model radical generosity within our church family. For, uh, you know, just try, trying to stress this as much as we possibly can. Hope you understand. Again, our, our mission is not stalled here. It's not stopped. It's, it's been refocused for a season, but man, we're, we're still here. There's still, there's funerals, there's counseling, there's benevolence ministry, there's worship gatherings, there's uh, de- developing and deploying volunteers, mobilizing them to serve needs in our church family. If you're on a church-wide email list, once a week, you're going to get a COVID-19 impact form. And what we're trying to do with that is, is to keep a pulse on the needs within our own con- uh, congregation. So if you're negatively impacted, adversely impacted by COVID in any way. We want you to fill that out because we're going to do everything that we can as a church family to make sure your needs are still being met. So you could join that team and you could use of your, your gifting, your time, your ability to, uh, to be engaged, prepared to serve within our community. 
We're just going to challenge everyone within our church family. Radically give of your time. Radically give of your talent and your ability and your gifting to serve the people of God in Jesus' name. To be on standby, to cook meals, to deliver groceries, to pick up meds for those who are in need. I want to challenge all of us as a church family. This is going to sound crazy during this season. But I want to challenge us to continue forward in radical generosity in our giving. This has been a major staple of our church family from day one. I want to share something with our church family to celebrate. We're about almost three full full months into 2020 so far. You know what's the highest week of giving we've ever had as a church family this year? It was this week. It was this week. We had many within our congregation who said, now more than ever, we are going to dig in and we're going to press forward because now more than ever, our community needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to continue to drive forward the mission of the church. The gospel is our ultimate picture of radical generosity. God could not have given us more than he gave us when he gave us Jesus. And we're in a season right now where we have the opportunity to put the gospel on display, not just with our words, but with our deeds and with our actions. And we want to paint a beautiful picture of who our Jesus is. So those who believe that Jesus is everything live lives marked by unconditional surrender, radical generosity, and third, desperate dependency. We marked by desperate dependency. If we truly believe that Jesus is everything, we will be desperate for him in every area of our lives. We need a fresh vision of Christ to captivate the church. And in these last couple weeks, I've been reminded of Christ's words to the church in Laodicea from Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. It says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, gold refined by the fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness, may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. In these last couple of weeks that the church has just been stripped naked of all of its superficial strength. I mean, so many of the things that we think make us rich and prosperous and have need of nothing have been taken away from us. There's a way, there's a sense in which we are experiencing the rebuke and the discipline of the Lord for putting our trust in worthless things. But even in the midst of that, he gives us an invitation to be zealous and repent because he's near. This is what Jesus says on the back end of that. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Throughout this season, we should be a people who are marked with a desperate dependency. We ache for the power and the presence of God so that once again, his supernatural deeds and works could be revealed and seen in our time. This past week, uh, Tuesday morning, I was sitting on our living room floor, and I was just praying. I guess, like so many of you, I've just been so confused through this season. I've been so confused through this season. I just had another dishonest moment before the Lord. I said, Lord, I I don't know what you're doing. 
I don't know what you're doing, but what I do know is we're the first within our generation of the church that's walked through what we're walking through right now. Mm-hmm. We're the first ones to do this. This is not business as usual. Jesus is doing something. He's reshuffling the deck and he's, he's moved us out of our comfort zones and he's pushing us forward. I truly believe with all of my heart, we are on the brink of the next great awakening. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm here for it. So I'm just sitting there. I'm I'm on my living room floor. I'm just praying like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. But whatever you're doing, I want in. I want to be a part of it. I I want to see this. Everything that we need has shown up at our door. He's pushed us back into our homes. And where's he at? He's standing at the door. And he's knocking. Do you hear him knocking during the season? Do you hear him knocking as he's, as he's moving us out of our comfort zones? And are we going to answer the door as he knocks? Or are we going to keep scrolling mm-hmm. and tuning him out mm-hmm. and just going on with our lives and continuing to build altars to all of our false gods of comfort and consumerism and materialism? Mm-hmm. Are we as a people going to get on our knees in desperate dependency and cry out to God and beg him to rend the heavens and tear them open, and pour out his Holy Spirit on his people, and bring revival to our nation. Those of you who were um, doing the Bible reading plan, but this is a church family this week, earlier we were this week in Psalm chapter 85. And these words just struck me from verses 6 and 7. I've claimed these as my prayer for my life and for our church family during this season. These are the words of the psalmist, Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Jesus is everything we need. He's everything that we need. And so what we're going to do right now as we close up is is what we're going to do every single week throughout this whole season. We want to be people who are marked by desperate dependency on Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit for the supernatural work of God to be accomplished through his church, the hands and feet uh, of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you just to whatever across this room, wherever you're at at home, is to get the space that you need to get. And we're going to get on our knees and we're going to pray these words together as a church family. We're going to pray these words. We're going to ask God to move on behalf of his people. cry out to you, we ask you, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Father, we've been reminded these last couple of weeks of how powerless we are, of how weak we are, of how inadequate we are. And you've reminded us tonight through your word that you are everything. You are all we need. So, Father, give us the courage to open up our hands, to let everything go, everything that we hold dear, and release it to the one who's holding all things together. Or don't let us believe that your son is anyone less than who he has said that he is. Father, we walk in his victory. We walk in the confidence and boldness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask during this season, like the church in the book of Acts, Lord, not for relief, Father. We pray for boldness in the face of opposition, in the face of discouragement, in the face of pain, in the face of uncertainty. Would we advance the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth? 
Father, would you awaken and revive your church? Father, shake us out of our apathy. Lord, knock down every superficial pillar that is holding up the structures that we've built. Father, we lay our vision before you and we beg of you, give us a vision of Christ and let him be all that we see because he's all that we need. Father, we cry out to you. Lord, we beg you, we need a miracle. We're in something right now that's bigger than every single one of us, but it's not too big for you. Your word says that your ear is not deaf that you cannot hear, that your arm is not short that it cannot reach. So Father, we ask that you hear the prayers of your people and that you would reach down from heaven and you save. And so Father, we ask you again, will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Will you show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation? Father, be glorified as we sing. Let the praises of your people be a sweet aroma in your ears and help the posture that we take now remain the posture of our hearts for as long as we live as a people who are desperate for you. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's stand and sing together.
It's been so good uh, to be here with all of you uh, who were present for this. Uh, for all of you watching at home, we miss you. We love you. Uh, don't forget, if you are watching online, there's that online Next Steps card that's available. It's linked to this video. Stay in touch with us. Let us know how we can continue to serve you as a church family. Uh, the online giving link is there as well. And then don't forget, Monday between 9 and 12, you can bring non-perishables here for help of Buford. That list uh, is on our Facebook page. It's gone out via email. We'll go out via email again throughout the course this weekend. You can drop off donations directly at help as well. You can make financial donations online, helpofbeaufort.org. Uh, but let's just rise up. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus and continue to meet critical needs uh, within our community with the radical generosity of the people of God. And don't forget, details coming this week, Easter at the drive-in. It's gonna be awesome. Lord willing, let's just pray that nothing major changes between uh, now and then, but hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be able to gather together on Easter Sunday. But uh, let's say together our banner verse. This is our statement of intent as a church and a people of God, what we are striving to be uh, for his name in our world, and then we'll sing as we close. I will cause his name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing together. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. 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 Guys, we love you so much and we will worship with you again next week.